Amen. Amen. I feel like I'm at a golf course this morning. That golf clap y'all gave, I like that. That's nice. Just hit my seven iron about 180 yards right then. It went well. But hey, it's good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to City of Hope Church. It's good to see it. Didn't Jeremy do a great job on these videos, man? He's not here this morning, but he worked hard on that video and so many others that he does. Another thing, another group of people that I need to brag on, I feel like, is just our worship team. Don't they do amazing almost every time? So they, they wrote that third song. Justin Bray wrote that song. I feel like when they write a song, it's usually better than the ones that we're playing otherwise. So we're just, man, they're, they're pretty awesome, but uh, we're thankful for them. So as you watch that video, one of the things that we've got going on that I obviously want you to be aware of is we are beginning this Awaken Hope campaign. And the reason we did that last video is because, you know, when, we, when you're doing a, a giving campaign because you're trying to beautify the exterior of your building and stuff like that, it can, it can seem like it's disconnected from other things. But I really believe that what we're doing and the reason we're trying to make things better is because it, it, it supports our vision overall. We believe that we can ultimately, through Jesus Christ, make our community better. And so we never want to put limits on ourselves, and we never want to say, ah, well, we're in Clay County, we're just, there's only so far you can go. No, we believe that we can go further and that we can have a true, genuine impact. And so when we receive this offering, if you weren't here uh, last week, I would, I would ask you to go and check out last week's sermon, last week's message. You can listen to it on the podcast if you didn't get to hear it. And it'll give you a little bit more of an overview because I don't want to preach on giving every single week. I know that can wear people out. But we will be receiving an offering on August the 8th. And like he said in the video, we're going to have a new entrance. We're going to have some new signage. We're going to paint the exterior of our buildings and try to do some minor renovations over there. But again, it's just us seeking to advance, make things better because ultimately we want to do that here in our community. Amen. Y'all with that? Praise God. So this morning, I want to speak about, I want to speak a message called Awaken Hope. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture here. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now it happened... When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive, and then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So let's pray together really quickly. Father, we're just grateful for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come to stir our hearts this morning, Lord. Because, God, you've not, 
You've not given us the Holy Spirit to live in a place of hopelessness or discouragement or despair. But God, you are a God of hope. And I'm praying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would awaken hope in people's hearts this morning. I pray that you would bring freedom into our hearts this morning, God. And you, you would burn like a fire for the passion, Lord God, that we have for our future right here in this place in the here and now. And for our children and generations to come, God. We thank you for your word. We believe it gives life. And we expect it to do that very thing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So you got David at, at Ziklag. And you notice what David's going through because David has been through a lot. And I personally believe that, that David is going through post-traumatic stress right now. I believe he's been through a lot over his life. And notice this, you see that his, his men, because their, their wives, their children have been taken captive. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine somebody comes, burns everything you own to the ground, takes your woman, takes your kids, and everybody else's woman and kids, and just heads out. And you're in that situation wondering what's going to go on. And here's the thing. Whenever bad things happen, we look for somebody to blame, don't we? I tell Andrea all the time when something bad goes on, I'm just, I, I need a scapegoat, and she's the only person around me, so she's my scapegoat, right? I'm going to blame it on her. Anybody amen me in here this morning? Like, you got to have somebody to blame bad things on. I mean, so, they, so they're like, you know what? David's been good to us all of our life. And, and we trust him and we believe him and we followed him all of our lives and trusted him. But this is so bad. It hurts so bad that, you know what? I'm so mad I need to vent my anger. I'm going to stone his hind end. And that's the position that they're in because every time something bad happens, we need somebody to blame. And I even believe that oftentimes in a county like our own, when bad things happen, and ultimately what we do is we want to push any blame or responsibility that we might have for ourselves and put it on somebody else. Well, things are the way they are because these people over here have always done it this way. And we, and we want to shift the blame, but I'm telling you, listen, there are a lot of people that can be blamed for a lot of the bad things that happen. I, I guarantee you I would agree with you on that. But we still have a responsibility as Christian people to have a different mindset and take responsibility for our own actions and believe that we have the power to make a change in circumstances. So David is suffering from post-traumatic stress because if you look at David's life, man, it reads like a sitcom. I mean, when the dude was young, his dad didn't believe in him. He didn't believe in him because the, the prophet comes in and says, look, one of your sons is going to be anointed king today. And his dad says, all right, here's all my sons. He had seven sons and then David was the eighth. But for whatever reason, his dad said, don't even bring David in. I know he's not the king. But then finally they said, no, it ain't none of these guys. So they brought David in. They anointed him. And then as soon as David is anointed king, he doesn't become king. He goes and hangs out with King Saul, who then he, he, he suffers workplace harassment from because Saul is throwing spears at him, trying to kill him around every turn, around every corner. So David says, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll marry one of Saul's daughters because we know that marriage fixes everything. Amen. I'm going to wake y'all up this morning at some point. And so he marries one of Saul's daughters, but this woman despises him, makes fun of him, ridicules him his entire life, and then they have a child, and this child ends up being molested by one of her brothers. Then one of their sons, Absalom, gets so upset about what happened that he begins to hate his father and tries to usurp the kingdom from his own dad, David, but ends up getting killed in the process. David lusts after a woman, Bathsheba, kills her husband in the field, has him killed and murdered. Then they get pregnant, then that child dies. I mean, this dude's been through a lot. Would you agree? You think about all the stuff you've been through. You look at David's life, you read through the Bible, you're like, all right, this dude's been through a lot. 
But you read about David over and over again, and I love what it says in this scripture because he is in another time where he has experienced extreme trauma. He's been in wars. He's seen bloodshed. He's lost people. All of these things have gone on in his life. And now they have come and burnt all their stuff and took their women and their children. And everybody that he once loved and once loved him now says, let's kill this dude. Let's stone him. But you know what? At that point, I got to be honest. If that had happened to me, I probably would have thrown in the towel and said, boys, we might as well just give up. Stone my hind end. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. Anybody amen me on that? You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? I just wish it would end so we could just go be with the Lord and it all be over with. But it says about David that David didn't turn against his men. He didn't complain. He didn't put blame on them. It says that he turned to God and he encouraged himself in the Lord. Because see, here's the first thing that you got to understand. The first point about hope, if hope is going to be awakened, hope will lie dormant. Hope will lie dormant. And, and because we are sinful, broken people, I'm telling you something. Hope will lie dormant in your heart unless you preach hope to yourself. In, I, in Psalm 42, 11, here's what it said. He said, it says, my soul, why are you downcast? And why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. What about a man over and over again in the Psalms speaking to his soul? You got to get up some mornings and you've got to preach hope to yourself. There goes some mornings I get up and things look bleak, just like the video was saying, things don't look good. We don't, we don't feel like our future is going to look good. We don't think this is going to work out. Nothing's going to happen. And sometimes you just need to get up and say to yourself, so why are you so disturbed and downcast? Put your hope in God. God is bigger than our circumstances. He's bigger than what we can fail to believe in. He can do things that we cannot imagine. He says, put your hope in God. Because number one, hope must be awakened. A little hope, man, has tremendous power. But I sense, and I'm telling you, maybe, may, I don't know if it's this way in other counties. I don't know if it's this way in other regions. I don't know if it's just Appalachia. I don't know if it's southeastern Kentucky. But you get this overwhelming sense when you talk to people that there's just hopelessness. That nothing is really ever going to get better. This is just the way that it is. We're stuck this way. We're always going to battle with addiction. We're always going to battle with poverty. Nothing's ever going to get better. And people just drown under this weight of depression and hopelessness. And every now and then you'll get some people that are really encouraging and say, no, I love my little town. But it's like, it's like they say it over against the fact that, you know, really we are hopeless in these areas, but at least we got good people. You know, amen, right? That's what people say in Clay County. You know what? We are hopeless, but at least we got good people. Amen. But here's what I'm saying. If we got good people and we've got God, what could God actually do in our midst? What could God actually do in our families? What could God actually do in our homes? What could God actually do in our communities? But this hope has to be awakened. I was reading an article. I read different things, and I don't necessarily encourage it all the time to read different things, but I was reading in Psychology Today, a magazine that talks about psychology. Amen. And so this guy, there was a guy named Martin Seligman in 1967. He did a study in people that had experienced extreme trauma, like they'd been through abuse or, or divorce or bankruptcy or maybe they lost everything. And he was doing this study and he came up with this psychological term called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. Now learned helplessness is a state that occurs after a person has experienced a stressful situation repeatedly. They come to believe that they are unable to control or change the situation so they do not even try, even when opportunities for change become available. How many people you know like that? Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, you know what, I've, just, I've tried that already, we've done that, we've tried and I kept trying and nothing ever got better, so what's the point? How many, I, I've been there. 
I've said, I've said to myself, you know what, what's the point? What's the point of even trying? And they actually did this with animals. They tested it on animals. They did it with dogs. They did it with, but, but one of the most, the most striking things was how they trained elephants in India. And what they said about these elephants in India was when a baby elephant was born, they basically would tie a chain or a rope around this, this baby elephant's leg, put a stake in the ground, so it would try week after week, year after year, to get free from this stake in the ground until finally it didn't even try anymore because it realized, once I go that far, I can't go any further. And so he stops to the degree that when this animal becomes massive to where it can't even fit in this building, all they got to do is tie a rope around its leg and put a stake in the ground, and it could easily just take one more step and tear that thing up because it's so big but it won't do it because it's learned I can't go beyond that I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've never been able to go beyond this rope so I'm never going to go beyond this rope and I'm telling you right now there are people under the sound of my voice in here and online and in our community that they live in a state of learned helplessness they live in a state of learned hopelessness where they won't even encourage themselves in the Lord anymore like David. They have given in and said, what is the point? We've tried. Things never get better. And it's always those people over there. You can't do anything for people like that. And we say, no, we can't move forward anymore because of that very same thing. There was a similar study done by a guy named Kurt Richter. And he, he took the concept of learned helplessness. And what he did was he took a bunch of rats. I thought this, I don't know if they would even allow you to do this stuff today. It sounds pretty intense. But he got a bunch of rats put them in a tub where they couldn't get out and they just kept swimming and kept swimming and kept swimming and about 10 minutes in, they gave up and they drowned. So he just let the rats die, he scooped them out, got him another batch of rats and he let them swim and he noticed that about nine minutes in, all of a sudden while they're swimming, they start to get panicked and they start to give up a little bit and dip under the water. So what he does is he comes in, he scoops them up out of the water, places them on a dry towel, feeds them a little bit, gives them some time to rest and then he puts them back in. But the second time they didn't swim 10 minutes, they, they swam 20 minutes. And right before they got that panic look, he scoops them out again. And he puts them on, he cleans them up, he, it dries them off, and he, and he feeds them. And he does this over and over again until finally he puts them in the water and they're swimming for hours. And he said, what's the common factor that you could even link between animals and humans is that the reason those rats died was because they were hopeless. But he said, when you removed hopelessness and they had this hope that, you know what, we can keep going because when we get to our wits end every single time, there's been a hand come up under us, pull us out of the water and place us in a safe place and feed us again. And every time that happens, it gave them hope. It let them know there's something at our wit's end that's going to show up and help us. And I'm telling you this, that God is a God of hope, that if you will put your faith in Him and say, we're going to go, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how difficult it looks, if we come to the end of ourselves, we know that the hand of God is going to come up underneath us and scoop us out and feed us and provide for us and do whatever needs to happen. And He said, the same way that you learn helplessness and you learn hopelessness is the same way that you can learn hope and optimism. He said you can train yourself. This is psychology. He says you can train yourself through positive emotions, through re relationships where you share what you're going through, but you speak hope into one another. You can train yourself to begin to think differently. I'm thinking, boys, I wish some of these psychologists would just go ahead and get saved. Because they, they ain't doing nothing but really just preaching the Bible. I mean, he gets to a place where he's basically saying you need to do what David did. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to get positive. You need to understand that God is on your side. You need to put your hope in God and believe for something greater than what you're currently believing for. 
You know, at one point they even said, they even said that, that in this study, they said, you know what, you need some kind, and this is a psychological term, but you need some kind of archetype, like a person, maybe, maybe somebody in Greek mythology that has went down into Hades and just defeated all these enemies and stuff like that and come out the victor on the other side. I said, well, we ain't got an archetype, but we do got a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we've got somebody that we can follow who has showed us how to overcome even death and suffering and an immense amount of pain and rise up in resurrection power and say, we've got a God that's able to raise the dead. We've got a God that's able to do far beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works within us. And his name is Jesus Christ. But see, before you can get this breakthrough, the first thing that you must have, folks, is hope. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith, notice, is the substance of things hoped for. We talk a lot about what faith is as Christian people. But the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope is the lowest level of faith. You can't even have faith until you at least have hope for something in the future. And this word substance is a word hypostasis. It literally means something firm to stand on. It also means that it, it is the title deed of a purchased possession in, in old, the old Greek world. So he's saying, one, he's saying when you start to hope for something, you envision something in the future. And faith takes hold of that hope and says this is not just wishful thinking. This is something that God wants to do. And therefore, I'm standing on this promise of God that even though it's not happened yet, I'm exercising my faith. I'm taking steps because I know this is something that God wants to do and I know that he will do it. So what you're hoping for begins to become a substance, a reality where you say, I don't have it yet, but I know I've got it. And it moves into faith. And so but to begin that, you've got to have just a little bit of hope. But the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, these, these rats, they swam 10 minutes. They said, you know what? We've been swimming forever. Nothing's changing. Our surroundings aren't changed. Their hope was deferred. It made their heart sick and they gave way to death. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life because finally when that hand came in and lifted them up out of that water, that was a longing fulfilled. And what it did is it created a tree of life in them to believe that when we get back to this position again, we can go further. We can go stronger. We can be better. And so everything that God is doing in our life, He is looking to cultivate hope in our hearts. But you've got to understand, number two, that hope is a choice. There's a choice between helplessness and hope. And every day you get up, you can make that choice whether or not you're going to believe that there's going to be good in this day or you've already given up because yesterday was a bad day. You've got a choice every single day of your life to say, God can either do something or He can't do anything. He's not capable. And we've just seen so many bad things for so long that ultimately we shouldn't do anything else. But see... You have the ability to encourage yourself in the Lord. Nehemiah 18 says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you can choose like David when you are in the midst of suffering and pain and doubt and discouragement and depression or anxiety to say, you know what, I'm going to turn my hope right now to the Lord and allow myself to get encouraged in the Lord. Let me tell you something. This is why I think it's so important. Over and over again, I say this, I say this, I say this. When we come in here on a Sunday morning, we are literally not just singing songs. We are encouraging ourselves in the Lord. 
Because we want people to leave here on Sunday morning filled up with the Spirit of God, the power of God to say, you know what? I've touched God today. And I was worried about some things, but I know now that God's got this. And I'm strengthened, I'm encouraged, and I'm ready to go forth in the power of the Lord to accomplish what He's given me for this week. But see, a lot of times we see suffering in the world, don't we? I mean, as a, even as a pastor, I cannot tell you the amount of calls and texts I get. People that have died, people that are sick, people that get terrible diagnoses. And you look at all this suffering, and honestly, when people don't believe in God, people, a lot of the atheists that I speak to, nine times out of ten, p- perhaps, they, they don't believe in God because they cannot understand why there would be so much suffering in the world if there was a God. And I get that to to a large degree because suffering hurts, man. It puts you into a place where you wonder, why in the world would God allow this to happen? But see, when you have a biblical worldview, you have a warfare worldview. And what you have to understand is that ultimately God created a world in which human beings were the ambassadors on this earth. And we had a choice, the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God always gives you a choice. He always gives you that choice. And what the Bible paints the picture of is that suffering and death was not ultimately God's design. And we say this over and over again. We know this because the scripture says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Amen. That means that death is God's enemy. He didn't say, you know what, be a good idea. I think people should die. Now, what he said was that ultimately death was a consequence of sin, which was never his desire for us. But he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to suffer with us on the cross. He said, suffering was not my design, but now we live in a fallen, broken world in which sin is taken over. And when you see loss, when you see death, when you see destruction, what you actually see is the devil's work. But the scripture says that the Son of God was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus showed up, he came to destroy sin. He came to destroy sickness and he came to destroy death. And he says, we don't see yet everything up under his feet, but we know that ultimately he is coming back and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So right now in this broken and fallen world, we see the works of the devil at hand, don't we? In our community, when you see poverty, when you see sickness, when you see death, you don't see the work of God, friends. You see the work of the devil. And the Bible says that we are in warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You have an enemy that is ultimately trying to move you into a place of of hopelessness because you are overwhelmed with your suffering and you have no hope any longer based on what's happening in your world. So number three, what I want you to understand is that the life of a believer is a life of hope. You cannot say that you are a spirit-filled Christian and live in a perpetual state of hopelessness where you think there's no good coming. You just can't be one. God fills our hearts with hope. He causes us to believe for greater things in the future. And here's what it says in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we believed in Jesus We have been declared righteous and now we got peace with God because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross. He said, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And notice this last phrase. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He says, we have access into this grace through faith in which we now stand. What does that mean? It means that because of what Jesus has done, you're now standing on grace. 
You're standing in favor. That means that God does not want your life to look like everybody else's life in the world that doesn't know God. He has reversed things. He has switched things. Doesn't mean that the believer is not going to go through suffering. Doesn't mean that the believer is not going to experience sickness. Doesn't mean that the believer is not going to be faced with death. But it means that we face it differently. It means that our lives are lived differently. And he says, now we stand in this favor. We stand in this grace. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, when we boast in the hope of the glory of God, what that means is that no matter what I'm going through, here's what I believe. No matter what I'm going through, when, when I'm at my weakest point, when I wonder whether or not God's going to be able to use me, and i got to be honest with you, I'm a weak person. I doubt myself very often. When I get up to preach, I'm sitting here praying. When I go, so when somebody asks me to speak, I'm worried to death. I'm worried sick. But I say, you know what, God? You're able to use me. This isn't about my capabilities or my ability to do anything. You are able to use me, and I will boast in the hope of the glory of God. I believe that you can use my life for your glory, and it's got nothing to do with me. I believe that you can do this. I believe that you can use my life and your glory will be right. When you talk about sin, sin, sin is defined as what? It's, it's falling short of the glory of God. God designed you and he designed me for his glory to be radiated in the earth. When you see Jesus Christ, what you see is a man with the fullness of the glory of God radiating from him. And as a Christian... He wants the fullness, he, he wants the glory of God to radiate through you. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? In your body, in your sickness, you can hope in the glory of God being manifested in your body. In your, in your suffering, in your pain, in your broken family, you can hope for a future where God is going to get glory out of the situation that you're going through. The pain and the doubt and the loss that you're suffering right now, God will get glory out of it. What this means as a believer is this, and it's amazing, because it means this, that our suffering ultimately has purpose. There is nothing you will go through, no hardship, no trial, no suffering, that God is not currently saying, you know what, this isn't necessarily my plan, this isn't necessarily the way that I want it to happen, but I can Weave it into my plan because we live in a fallen world and I am sovereign. And I can take your suffering and I can get glory out of it. And I can change your life to make you more like Jesus right through the middle of it. So every single time you go through something hard, you can look to God and say, you know what, God, my hope is in you because I know that even if I have to go through this and the devil attacks me from every angle, you're going to take me to a place where you get glory and you change my life. And ultimately, I've got more trust in you and I've got more power because of it. Amen. That almost deserves a golf clap this morning, y'all. There it is. That's soft. I just made a putt right then. We are to boast in the happy expectation of good in our future. The word hope, that's what it literally means. In, in the Greek, it's the word elpis. And it literally means the favorable and confident expectation of good. When you look to your future, when you look to the future of this region, of this county, of, of your home, of, of, of whatever it may be, when you look to the future, do you have a confident and favorable, expect, favorable expectation of good? Do you think, man, things are going to be good? Or do you think, Psh, ain't nothing they're good ever happened? I, I used to have a friend when I was in high school. I mean, anything would happen. And, and, I mean, and this dude really had it made. He's doing good in life. He didn't have no worries. But any little thing that would happen, I mean, like it, it would be, you know, it would be chilly day at the school and he didn't like chili he'd be like man I can't ever get a break isn't that the attitude that we have though it's like just cause they, I mean that brother just serving chili I mean you'd be alright you can eat dinner later 
But see, you can look at everything with that, that, that tent, that kind of view to where you can't ever get a break. And I'm telling you, God, He may not give you a break, but He will give you a breakthrough. He will show you something if you will hang on and you will follow Him to this place. But see, four is that with God, even our suffering results in hope. That's what I just shared. But it says the same thing in the next verses in Romans 5. Notice what it says. We don't only boast in the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. And that's something that a lot of people really honestly don't do. How many people have you known that are going through suffering and they're glorying and rejoicing in their sufferings because they know, you know what, God is going to work this for good. I've yet to see really a person do. I've seen people hang on and stay strong through some stuff and say, you know what, somehow God's going to use this. I've seen that, but usually people do not rejoice in their sufferings. But he says, you know what, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so he says, look, in a sinful world that we live in, this suffering comes, but it produces perseverance in you because you need perseverance. In a world like this, when things are messed up and things are jacked up, I got to be honest with you, probably on the outside and in the external, I doubt that like our government in the United States is probably going to get much better. See, because my hope is not in this world system. My hope isn't that Governor Bashir or Joe Biden will get lined out. Amen. That's not my hope. I'm going to pray for both the boys and say, Lord, help them make some good godly decisions, please. I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to believe God for the best in all of our leaders. But my hope is not in them. My hope is not in our government. My hope is not in this world system. My hope for our children is not in the Clay County public school system as good as it may be. My hope is in God. I believe that He can impact our governmental systems. I believe that He can impact our school systems. I believe that He can transform our youth. I believe that He can do those things. But see, we may go through suffering, but ultimately what it's going to do is it's going to produce perseverance in us. We're going to say, you know what? I've been through this and God brought me through on the other side. I'm ready to take another hit. The other day we were talking about COVID because, you know, COVID is, is always the talk. And i got to be honest with you, the first round, I don't know what it did to you, but what it did to me as a leader, it wore me slap out. Somebody amen me. Anybody else? I don't know. Because it's like when COVID's going on, it don't matter what decision you make, it's the wrong one. So, praise God. Have church, that's wrong. Don't have church, that's wrong. Y'all have church. So it's like, it's like you can't do it. And I'm sure that's whether you work at a job or you're a pastor, whatever you do. Like, like you, any decision you make is the wrong one. And I came to a point, I said the other day to somebody, I said, you know what, I've come to the decision now, even though it's hard for me, I'm no longer working to please you anymore. I'm working to please God. So the decisions I make are ultimately going to be through a lot of prayer. And I may make some wrong ones. You know why? Because I'm human. But I'm going to counsel with people and we're going to try to do it. But see, when you go through these things, I told, I told Andre, I said, gosh, if this COVID thing were to happen again, I just don't know if I could do it again. And then it was like the Lord said, you can't. But if you put your hope in me, I'll strengthen you. I'll give you the power. You ain't going to make it on your own. But if you turn to God and say, God, I'm weak and this is a perfect place for your power to be made known because it is in, your, in my weakness that your strength is perfected. And I want to experience some of that perfected strength because then that perseverance, what does it do? It produces character. 
And people with character can become trusted leaders. Because you know that even when, when, when everything is going sour all around them, you know that they're going to have the wisdom and the strength to, to make the right decisions even though they're hard calls. And he says, if you go through some hard stuff, guess what? Even if nobody else likes it, it produces character in you. And then ultimately that character produces hope. And that hope does not put you to shame. Because you know what the world says? I've even heard this before. You know, don't get your hopes up. I don't want to get my hopes up. You ever said that? I don't want to get my hopes up because I just, I don't want to be disappointed. So what if you're disappointed? Get your hopes up. You're a child of God. What's he capable of? What we should be saying is don't get your hopelessness up. Believe for greater things. Even if, th even if one bad thing, listen, David's life, you look at his life, one bad thing after another. But if we look back on it now, we see the glory that was revealed through his life, don't we? Maybe he didn't see it in his time. Maybe you won't see it in your time. But if you will go through what you go through with hope and with faith and say, I don't know why I'm going through all this stuff, but ultimately I know that God's going to get glory out of it and it is going to cause his name to be made known a little bit more. All right, over here in this corner, we're going good. David, Job, Abraham, you go throughout Scripture. You see men that go through an immense amount of suffering, an immense amount of pain. And the one thing that they learned is this. They learned that, you know what, at the end of the day, we can put our hope in God because all of this stuff that we're going through, God is doing something that we cannot fully understand. This is why it says in Scripture, Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's why I read that story about David, because he says, you know what, that story was written for us so that I can look at it and imagine my life all being burned down, and maybe your life is burned down this morning. Maybe your wife and children have been taken captive by the devil. I don't know. But you can have hope because David got a word from God that says, pursue, for surely you shall without fail recover all. He says, you can receive that word into your heart and be strengthened in the Lord and encouraged and say, I'm going to go after this thing. I'm going to believe that God is going to do something. Number five, I'm getting through it. I got seven points because I like the number seven. Amen. Number five, hope is a helmet. Hope is a helmet. First Thessalonians 5, 8 through 9, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation. As a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, hope, the hope of salvation is a helmet, it says in Scripture. And a helmet, ultimately, obviously, it protects you from any kind of, I think... I think I saw Chad Thompson over. He posted something about a helmet that just blew up. Whenever you wreck, a helmet would just blow up. We kind of need that in a spiritual sense. You know what I'm talking about? Anytime you're about ready to hit a wreck, you just have an inflatable helmet. Just go over your head. But see, because the enemy is going to attack your mind. And, and, and the majority of the time that the devil attacks you, he doesn't show up with a pitchfork and his tail poking out of the back. Like, like you're not going to see that. You're not going to. What you're going to have, the way that you're going to know that you're being attacked by the demonic is your mind's going to start to go half crazy. You're going to have thoughts of serious discouragement, depression, anxiety, 
fear, worry, all of these things begin to inundate your mind and it puts you in a place of hopelessness and despair so that you're no longer turning to God. Maybe you're even getting angry at somebody. Maybe you're imagining thoughts about people that aren't necessarily real. Maybe you're listening to the news and you're adopting the news as truth over and above God's Word. And I'm not saying that facts out there in the news may or may not be true. I'm just saying that I've got a greater reality that I hold above the reality of that. And that is the Word of God. But see, He's going to attack our mind because the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not natural weapons, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are in the mind. How do I know that? Because He says that when we war, we cast down imaginations and reasonings and arguments in our mind, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what He teaches. So warfare happens in your mind because Satan is trying to convince you that you ain't going to make it, that you've got to make that decision, that you're always going to be an addict, that you're always going to be in bondage, that nothing's ever going to get better, that you need to stay angry at that person and not forgive them because they hurt you too bad. He's going to get all those things wrapped up into your mind until he has what he calls a stronghold where that's all you think about all the time. And what he's saying is you need a helmet And the helmet is the hope of salvation. That no matter what kind of shape I get in, if the devil attacks me and everything is going totally haywire and out of bounds, I've got this joyful expectation of good that God is going to save me in the midst of it. Because that word salvation is not just about being delivered from hell at the end of this life, even though that is the reality. Salvation is the fact that we ain't got to go to hell when we die and we get to go be with Jesus forever when He restores this earth for eternity and heaven and earth become one. That is salvation. But the word salvation in the Greek language, I know I do a lot of Greek and y'all probably don't like it, but it's all right. Because the word is soteria. And it comes from this word called sozo, which means saved. And throughout Scripture, it means so many different things. It means healing. It means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. It means to be set free. It means to be saved. So like every time that somebody would come to Jesus, for example, when the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment and virtue and power went out from his body and he said, who touched me? And immediately the woman who had been sick with an issue of blood for 18 years, immediately the flow stopped and she was healed. And he said to the woman, woman, go in faith. Your faith has sozoed you. It's healed you. He used the word saved that we use for saved and salvation. So what is he saying? He's saying you need to put on this helmet of the hope that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, God is going to save you. He will heal you. He will deliver you. He will rescue you. Jesus' name in the Greek language is soteria. It's his salvation. It's his name. You've got a helmet on, which is the hope of Jesus showing up in your life. Jesus is going to show up in your life. When things get to where you don't know it anymore, you just need to reach out and touch the hem of His garment and He's going to give you the strength that you need to persevere. And in that perseverance, He's going to build character. And in that character, He's going to build hope. And you're going to start to believe, you know what? You're going to be able to tell people, you know what, I know you're going through a hard time, but you can have a joyful expectation of good because if you'll turn this over to God, He will fight your battles for you and He will bring you out on the other side. And some of y'all need to be a witness to that. Some of y'all need to get out there and tell. You don't need to be walking around as a Christian depressed all the time saying nothing's ever going to get better. You need to tell somebody that there is hope in Jesus Christ and they can put this helmet on that will protect them from the lies of the devil. Number six, hope is an anchor. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, notice, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Now, an anchor in that time... Literally, you get this picture I read in a commentary once where a guy was saying in that time, a lot of times if boats were going into a port, sometimes there would be some just, just ravenous waves, man, and it would be hard back then. They didn't have the technology that we have today to help people get into ports. And so if there was a bad storm, they would have to set anchor down just outside the port to wait until the waves passed. But there would be a very small boat that would go in before the bigger boat, a forerunner would go in before the bigger boat to get into the port and they would anchor down so that while the winds and the waves were crashing, they would stay still in one location. See, hope is what gets you to be able to stay still while the waves and the winds are crashing and you're going through the storm because you know, you know what? All right, right now the waves are crashing. Right now there's a bad storm, but I know ultimately I'm going in that direction and God is going to get me there. And why do I know he's going to get me there? Because he has got a rope tied to my boat and the forerunner has went in before me. Can I tell you this? And this is the hope that all of us should have supremely above everything else. Because if we suffer sickness, if we suffer disease, if we suffer death, and God wills those things and allows those things to happen, He has given us a hope that transcends all of that junk. Because He has been raised from the dead and ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father so that even our lost loved ones, guess what? There's a rope that has been thrown down from heaven tied around my heart. And even though right now I'm down here in the winds and the waves, my forerunner has gone on before me and I know that if I'm in suffering and if I face death, ultimately he's going to draw me right into that port, son. And I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven at the end of this thing. See, hope is an anchor for my soul. And when things are going bad and the waves are bad and the storm is bad, you can put that anchor down and say, you know what, I ain't going to be moved by this because God is still good. He's always good. He's got good for my life. He's got good for my family. I ain't always going to be an addict. He's going to set me free from the things that I'm going through. He's going to save my children. He's going to save my family. He's going to move in our community. He's going to do something. And I need that helmet, y'all, because I got to be honest with you, there are things, even in ministry, there have been times when I thought, boy, is it, I, I just might as well give up. The devil will attack your mind and you need to discern that that is the devil and it's not God. It's not how God feels about you. It's not how God sees your future. Hope gives you a vision of the future that God paints for you. God's got a better future in mind for you. He wants to give you hope and a future. Here's my last point. I didn't tell him so you can come to the music. But seven, God is behind our hope. God is behind our hope. And see, and the reason I say that is because of this. What we will say a lot of times is, well, you know, Clay, that's just wishful thinking. You're basically telling me to go out here and just be positive. And you're talking about psychology and all that. Well, here's what I'm telling you is that God is the one that's behind. I can hope because the power, the most powerful being in the universe is behind my hope, telling me to have hope. Matter of fact, he's telling me to lay hold of that hope. That means that when I hear this message, I don't just keep, treat it flippantly. I know a lot of people, look, you got a lot of people in church. They're like 50 people, you know, that like to hear the message. Everybody else likes to be gone doing so. I get that. But I'm telling you, if I can find about 10 or 15 people that will take hold of the Word of God and say, I'm going to lay hold of this hope and not just hear it, but apply it to my life, it will transform who you are. It will transform who you are. That's just a minor rebuke this morning. Gentle. 
7, God is behind our hope. Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we have a God who is a God of hope. He sees the future differently than you. I promise you, right now in your life, God sees your future differently than you see it. And I promise you this, that God seeing your future looks a lot different than what the enemy has convinced you it should look like in your mind. It's just better. I can't tell you, like, and I don't know, like, maybe you're like me. I have backup plans and stuff in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, if this fails, if this fails, I've got a contingency plan. If this fa- if I if I fail as a pastor, if I blow it and everybody leaves and hates my guts, you know, well, I can always go do this. Y'all, y'all do that stuff in your mind? It's not from God. Say amen to that. It's not from God. He doesn't want you to make plans based on your hopelessness. He wants you to make plans based on your hope. And if you fail, let God worry about that. Let God worry about that. He's the one that's able to pick us up like he did those rats in the beginning, son, and bring them out and say, hey, here's a different future. He's the one that is behind our hope. See, David's situation looked hopeless, but he'd been in these situations before and he knew where to turn. Because it says in 1 Samuel, as we read in verse 6 of chapter 30, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord God. He encouraged himself in the Lord God, a lot of translations say. And David said to the priests, bring the ephod here to me. The ephod was something that contained the Urim and the Thummim. The, the, the priests would use it when they were praying and interceding. And God would literally speak to them through the stones, the Urim and the Thummim, which were inside on the breastplate. And so he brought the ephod there and they began to pray and they began to seek the Lord. And David asked the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. What I'm telling you right now is if you are in a situation, when it comes to to your life, when it comes to this community, what we're praying about, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, we're in a bad spot right now. But will we overtake this? Will we move forward? You need to get a word from God that you cannot just hope in, but you can stand in faith on. And say, right here, I I see a future. I see a vision that looks differently about my life, about my children's life, about my family's life, about our community's life. And I'm looking forward with a different vision because I have hope and I have faith. And God is behind this hope. God is behind this faith. And he got a word from the Lord and he pursued and he recovered all. And I believe that some of you, maybe you've lost some things and God's saying, I believe you can recover some things in this. I'm going to read one last scripture and I'm done. I just like this scripture. Zechariah 9, verse 11 through 12. It says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you. So he's saying, because of what Jesus has done, because his blood was shed on the cross for you and your faith in him, you've entered into a covenant with Jesus Christ and with God through Jesus Christ, his son. He says, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. The waterless pit is literally just a place where there there is no God. There There is no life. There is no vitality. He says, I will free your prisoners from this place. And then he says, return to your fortress. Notice this phrase, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. 
Sometimes I just like to get excited about the fact that God just wants to bring restoration into people's lives. Things that you have lost, God wants to restore double, twice as much to you. And He says, you need to return to your fortress. What is your fortress? Jesus is your fortress. You've trusted in the news and you've trusted in the governor and you've trusted in all of these situations and things. And I'm telling you, you need to return to your fortress, to Jesus Christ. And He calls you a prisoner of hope. Why? Because so many of us are prisoners of fear. We're prisoners of wounds from our past. We're prisoners of unforgiveness where we just won't let it go because somebody hurt our feelings. You're a prisoner to it. You're a prisoner to your anxiety. You're a prisoner to your hatred. We can be a prisoner to all sorts of things. Imprisoned by fear and hopelessness. And he's saying, no, as a Christian, as a believer, when you get a hold of this fortress, when you get a hold of this God, you become a prisoner of hope. You're chained to it. And when somebody tries to discourage you and when everything looks bad around you, you say, you know what? No, I can't give that. I'm still believing for my family. I'm still believing for my community. I'm still believing that even though I'm dealing with sickness right now, God's going to heal me in this life or the next. I'm holding on to this hope. Matter of fact, I'm chained to hope. I'm a prisoner of hope because I serve the God of all hope. And He's able to fill me with this hope. And I'm telling you, so many of us, what we need once again is we need an infusion of hope for our families, for our friends, for our community, for lost loved ones to believe that, man, God can actually do something. God can actually move in our lives. Amen. I want you to bow your heads just where you're at for a moment. I want you to just consider this because you need to understand that if there is any place in your life where there is no hope, that area is under the influence of a lie. Now, if you've got an area in your life, I just want to pray with you where you're at right now. It's your seat right now. But if you've got an area in your life where you say, you know what, there's a place in my life. Maybe it's my family. Maybe it's, maybe it's this relationship. Maybe it's this situation. Maybe it's my body. Maybe I'm dealing with sickness and I just don't feel like I have hope anymore. Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me. I, there's an area I got where I just don't have hope. I see you. I see you. I want you to pray. I want to pray with you right now, right at your seat. Lord, right now we come against the lies of the enemy that says there, are no, there is no hope in these situations. And Lord God, by the power of your spirit, I pray that right now with each person, you would cause each person to abound and overflow with hope. That's a joyful expectation of good to come because God, you are going to do good in this situation. And right now, God, even the suffering that we're going through because of it, Lord, we know that you are going to use it for good. You're going to work things together for good and you're going to cause your glory to be made known in the midst of all this. So, Lord, we put it in your hands. I want you to just put it, give it to him right now. Say, Lord, I give you this situation. And Lord Jesus, I'm standing on the hope of your promises that your glory is going to be revealed in these situations, in our families, in our lost loved ones, in our sick bodies. Lord God, whatever it may be right now, we're asking you to begin to move in that situation in Jesus' name. And if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, right now is the perfect time to know him because you need to have the hope of eternal life. That when you die, when this life is over, you get to be with Jesus forever. And so the only thing that I'm going to ask you to do is respond. I'm going to open this altar. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship God together. Stand to your feet. Now, everybody, stand to your feet.